prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Colin Farrell takes us on a dark adventure with the Northwater, plus talk of the Batman. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Well, they don't come much more talented and charming than Mr. Colin Farrell. Uh, This guy's great. I love talking to him. He, of course, was on the podcast not so long ago. This was it was definitely pre-pandemic. We talked for Dumbo. That speaks to the the breadth of his work right there, from a Disney live-action adventure to the darkest of tales, a whaling expedition in the 1850s. Yeah, that's. That's the diversity of a career right then and there. Um, but this is this is a great chat. I, I love talking to Colin Farrell. He is open and honest and, and sweet and knows his movies and just checks all the boxes. This catch-up, uh, as I said, the main reason for it was to get the good word out on The North Water, which is a six-part limited series. This is based on a best-selling book, best-selling novel, I should say. As I said, it takes place in the 1850s in the Arctic. They shot this for real on location in extreme circumstances, and it is all up on the screen. Um, It stars Colin alongside the very talented Jack O'Connell, and the character that Colin portrays in this, well, it doesn't get much darker than Henry Drax, a animalistic, instinctual, uh, nasty gentleman you do not want to be anywhere with, let alone on a whaling expedition in the 1850s, trust me. Uh, but this uh, this project is well worth your time. It is on AMC and AMC Plus. The first episode, depending on when you hear this, is probably out by now. July 15th is the date when it, when it premieres. And as I said, it's six episodes in all, well worth your time. Uh, this was also a good excuse just to catch up on a great number of things. Colin's been busy. He just ran his first marathon. He just completed working with Ron Howard on a film. He teased that he's about to go start working with the great Martin McDonough. They're going to reteam, which I'm thrilled about. They, of course, have worked, let's see, they worked together on In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Uh, and now another film, including, uh, I think he said, Brendan Gleeson and uh, Barry Keoghan, who I'm also a big fan of. So that's coming. But of course, I couldn't let Colin go without talking a bit about The Batman. Colin stars in The Batman as the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot. So yes, there is some Batman talk in this and some stuff I hadn't heard about um, that I think is going to make some news. So if you're here for the Batman talk, you will not be disappointed. Plus, we talk comfort movies and Colin chose a great one, a great romantic comedy from the early 80s. Yes, we're talking Tootsie. So this episode has it all. Um, In addition, let's see, other things to mention. Well, a lot of you have probably by now seen Black Widow, whether you've seen it in theaters or on Disney+. Uh, My conversation with Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh is up on MTV News' YouTube page. That was a delight. People seem to be digging that. Uh, Also got some great response from my extended conversation with Henry Cavill for WitcherCon. Yes, they invited me, Henry invited me to chat with him as kind of like the big event of WitcherCon, which was this kind of deep dive, geeky conversation with Henry about all things Witcher and just his, uh, his interest in gaming and fantasy. And as I've said before, he's the real deal. He loves this stuff and it shows through in this conversation. And I'm so thrilled you guys seem to be digging it. That is on, let's see, I put it on my 
Instagram page. Like if you go on Instagram and Linktree, you can check it out there. Or if you just go to YouTube, search Witcher Henry Cavill, uh, it's probably the first thing that will come up, that 45-minute conversation with Henry Cavill. Um, what else? Oh, here's the big thing I need to mention. There's a new game night up on Patreon. Brand new game night. And we have a returning, I was going to say returning champion. He's not a champion, but we love him nonetheless. Sam Hewen returns to game night alongside Jamie Alexander, of course, you know, from Blind Spot and the Thor films, and Karen Gillan, who we know and love from Doctor Who and Jumanji and her new film, Gunpowder Milkshake. So that's the trio on game night, and I don't know what more I need to do for you guys. That's that's entertainment right there. 45 minutes of silly games with Karen Gillan, Sam Hewen, and Jamie Alexander. It is a delight filled with surprises and lots of fun and lots of laughs. Go over to patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused to check it out. You will not be disappointed. Okay, I think that's enough plugs for now. Let's get to the main event. Uh, the delightful Mr. Colin Farrell joining me from Los Angeles on a brief break in between projects uh, to hype up his new one, The Northwater, on AMC and AMC+. Here's me and Colin Farrell. No pomp, no circumstance, but I am very pleased to welcome Mr. Colin Farrell back to the podcast. It's just like totally normal. Just two dudes in weird boxes on our screens talking. Yeah, exactly. It's good to see you, man, though. Thank you for doing this. Life in its most remote form for us. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's still strange. I mean, it's nice to see that the world is returning to some sense of normality. But then, of course, there's the evolution of this this thing and the delta variant and it's just relentless really you know god what a year it's been yeah we've been riding different waves i mean yeah here in new york it was insane at the start then everybody gets their turn la had their turn it's been it's been wild but as you as you say we're we're starting to get back to some kind of it's lovely man when i left here i just did a film in um i just did a film in australia and i was there for four months and that was a godsend because as you probably know australia and new zealand really they did the hard work. They figured it know. out. Yeah, they did the hard. They just did the hard work, and they did what they needed to do. And there was a sense of kind of, there was a sense of conformity which is needed, you know. And there was not that people were happy that they had to lock down, not that people were happy that they had to wear masks, but they did what they needed to do, and they shut it down. I mean, there's a few outbreaks now, but when I arrived into um, the Gold Coast about five months ago, now I remember the first. There was two outbreaks. There was two outbreaks. Two cases of COVID in Brisbane and it was front page news two cases of COVID in Brisbane and I thought are you fucking kidding me I've had two COVID in my living room you know back in Los Angeles so when I left here five months ago this was this place was like many parts of the world was, was totally closed down people were suffering psychologically as well I mean you know the mental health of so many people is has been put under great strain yeah. over the last year and a half but to be there to arrive in Australia it was unnerving at first but it was amazing we had this really COVID free experience for for four months and then coming back here about two or three weeks ago I came back and and it was great to see that the world was as I say returning to a greater sense of openness and you know less a little less fear and, and stuff but what a year it's been in so many ways socially and politically and it's just been so trying yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to hear you describe the, the stuff in Australia. I feel like 
for for those of us in the states, we were like watching like the cast of Thor and other things like kind of like living like the old world. Like we were like we had our like nose pressed up against the glass, be like, oh look, humanity yeah. can still exist. It was so yeah. exciting to see. No, so, so I'm no. glad you got a taste of that. Totally. I mean, to be able to, and it is one of those things where you know, uh, unfortunately, as human beings, oftentimes we don't appreciate the things that we have until they're lost, etc. Yeah. It was one of those things. I mean, the idea of going and and sitting in a coffee shop when I got to Australia and having a cup of coffee was, was borderline emotional. I, I believe it. You know, the First gratitude. time I saw a movie yeah. here again, it was, it was pretty special. Being able to shake someone's hand, give someone a hug when you see them. Holy yeah. shit. Powerful. So are you in the middle of work right now in LA? Where are you at? In I'm life? not. No, no, no. I'm just back now. Just, just catching up with life. And um, I'm, I'm only home. It's a, it's a quick turnaround, a quicker turnaround than I would like to have actually, but I leave for, I leave for Ireland in about four weeks to do a, a gig with Martin McDonough again, who I did oh, in Bruges with. I saw that listed. I was going to ask you if it's it's coming to fruition. You and, and Brendan yeah. getting back together? Yeah, me and Brendan getting the band back together. Yeah, Amazing. me and Brendan. I think, I think Barry Kogan is going to be in it. Um, oh, I have worked with. Yeah, Barry's fantastic. So, yeah, it'll be great, man. On the shooting on the west of Ireland, the script is obviously, when you're talking about Martin, it's always this way, but it's extraordinary and so unusual. And uh, I'm looking forward to that, but, but between now and then, just home, catching up. So, so the last time we chatted, we were talking about Dumbo. <laughs> this speaks yeah. to the breadth, the, 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 that, the fact that you contain multitudes, because now in the North Water, you, my friend, are playing the, the animal that men fear. <laughs> you, are, yeah. you are the, uh, um, I don't know, this guy is fascinating. Talk to me. There, there are different reasons to take on projects, and I, and I very much enjoyed this one, but I can only imagine from your perspective, there's the content of this part there, but there's also the adventure of making a movie. And this seems, or a TV series, this seems like just an expedition <laughs> like no other that you could take part in. Yeah, it was. It was. It was It was really, look, I've, in the 20 years I've been doing this for a living, I've, you know, I've ridden the horses through the desert in Morocco. I've dived in this part of the world. I've done various things in, in places that I never really imagined or, or thought that I'd arrive at. But to be 500 miles from the North Pole um, and about 300 miles from any civilization on three ships for five weeks, shooting on ice flows and shooting on the boat was extraordinary to be surrounded by polar bear, which we were, I mean, there were polar bear spottings regularly and it was very humbling and awe-inspiring and it was also quite hostile. Um, but it was, we all of us together, you know, every every now and then you'll find yourself doing films in an experience with people. And if the experience is extreme enough, there's kind of an unspoken understanding that only you, you people that are there at that moment and you alone will have this shared experience that will take you through the rest of your days. And this was one of those. I mean, it was really, it was very moving. It was very moving to be somewhere that wasn't in any way poisoned by the clutter of man. Yep. Um, you know, the things that go on in cities, you know, cities being primarily, of course, a, a dream of man and then a, a, a realization of that dream with varying degrees of success and, and uh, appalling degrees of failure as well. All that was gone. It was just, we were at the whim of, of a very raw and a very brutal and a very ancient nature. And it was really humbling and it was really profound to be there. And I, I just loved it. And I dream of going back to Svalbard. I dream of going back there. And there's a, there's a simplicity to the place that just allows for so much of your own experience as a human being and your own realizations that 
you are nothing you are a speck and you you can't live like you're a speck because you have a wife and you have children and you have to make a livelihood and you have dreams that you wish to pursue but at the end of the day our lives as humans if we're lucky we get to 80 90 our lives as humans are so brief and we are such a speck in the grand scheme of things and sometimes you know to feel that is not to feel um is not to kind of underplay the importance of your life at all it's to actually be invited into capitalizing on the short time that you have on this planet and the capitalizing of that short time might just be to realize how lucky you are to make the trip i say that as a very fortunate person who you know was brought into the world in a particular way and has had the experiences i've had but i think for all of us for sam Spruill and jack o'connell and stephen graham and andrew haig and on all the other actors and all the all the crew as well we all shared the this kind of uncommon experience together up north and it was really god bless andrew for insisting that we did the five weeks up there as far as drax the character went i just never never had read anything or been offered anything like it that was as cruel and and that that was as brutal and yet utterly lacked compunction or any kind of awareness or our desire to investigate his behavior he was just an animal of pure instinct you know and yeah. it was a very different time in in the in the kind of evolution of man as a quote unquote questionable man as a civilization unto himself um so it, you know it didn't the piece was very brutal and i was just curious as to how it would all play out you know yeah i mean for the, for those that have seen the trail or, or little bits of it i mean it's hard to kind of like give a sense of it but yes it's it's all on the screen and it's not you know this is not made avatar style in a box as much as i love that kind of stuff too but like Me too. but you know imagine being an, on a whaling expedition in the 1850s hardship as it uh, as, as that entails and then being stuck on it with maybe like the worst possible human being it's like being stuck with daniel plainview of there will be blood on a whaling yeah. expedition basically yeah i mean this yeah, guy's as you say yeah i was gonna say i mean you, you said like he 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 operates on instinct he he embraces his animal instincts he doesn't seem he to philosophy as well you know there's a yeah. couple of things he says i can't remember the lines but talking about you know laws being just one thing that man chooses suits him over another and there there's definitely kind of a his own little hard-boiled um ideology on mm. what the meaning of life is and what man's purpose on this planet is but as far as he's concerned he's he's you know unapologetically nihilistic um where he doesn't find any kind of spiritual meaning in the existence of man it is just man is an animal that has certain desires certain thirsts and certain physical not emotional or psychological but physical needs and he must be allowed to pursue them at all times without any hesitation or, or, or apology and so to play that character was kind of liberating i mean he was so dark on the page i wondered you know what it would do to my mood but it right. was it was actually in any if anything and you know it is always artifice and it is always fiction and we always have the the knowledge of that no matter how deep you are into something there's always at least a third eye that is aware that there's cameras and crew and so so i was kind of given carte blanche to experience the dream of this creature and it was it was so much fun i i really enjoyed playing him as brew as much as i wouldn't like to have a coffee with him uh, which i wouldn't or be stuck in a cabin with him or on a boat for months but it was the the, the 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 cruelty and the brutality of that industry of the whaling industry and the kind of the kind of complementary behavior of the of the men as as they're designed in in our piece that pursued that as a living i don't know what stephen graham's character says at one stage where the were the refugees of civilization i think is what he calls the men and that kind of made 
if not poetic, made a certain kind of very real sense because there's a brutality that they live in and all around where obviously when they're pursuing their livelihood, it's incredibly bloody and incredibly brutal, brutal and incredibly inhumane. But even when they're on dry lands, they're living lives that are morally questionable at best. Yeah. By the, by the time you get to set, I'm curious, because you obviously have a bunch of choices you can make in preparation. And then a lot of that you probably often have to throw out the window because it kind of changes in the environment and the other actors and the director. But like in the case of something like this, I know you put on some weight, you obviously have facial hair, you have the voice. You, there, there are things that the accoutrements that make up this yeah. character. Do you do you does that change when you get on set, like on day one? If Andrew, your director, says like, oh, wait, I didn't think he was going to sound like that. Yeah, Are you up yeah. Shit's Creek? Like, what happens? Well, I was at a bit of a, I, to be honest with you, I, I was at a bit of a loss. Uh, I was struggling a bit to find his voice. And um, and in the book, he's, I, I don't know if it's ever, because I read the book, I can't remember a few years back now, if it's ever defined exactly where he's from. Um, I, I think he might have been a Yorkshire man. Uh, so I was going to do kind of a version of a Yorkshire accent and I worked with a dialect coach on that. And then there was this other hodgepodge that I ended up kind of leaning more into. But I literally, I literally brought Andrew into my cabin on the boat about a week before we started shooting. And I said, these are the two sounds. I was, I maybe shouldn't admit that. I feel a bit vulnerable now. Oh, uncertainty. But I literally, I, I didn't know. And I thought, okay, I can, I can take a shot myself or I can just uh, put my ego to the side and ask the director to come in and kind of audition for the director in a way. I mean, obviously I had the part, but I auditioned these two different, almost different dialects or, or different tones for him. And, and we both decided on. So that was one kind of very clear stage of evolution for me that was unanswered until about seven days before we started shooting. Um, all of the actors did their own individual work as actors do. And then we didn't have too much time to rehearse, but everyone was so extraordinary um, that it just came together. It all felt very natural. I mean, I had done some physical work, of course, and but by the time we got up there, we just, Andrew created such a, an environment that was so conducive to work and it was all very brutal and very raw and the body was kicking into survival mode. And we just, the days were long and hard in a really lovely way. You know, we would get up, it would be dark. We would watch the sunrise, 360 degrees. There was no land for hundreds of miles. We would just see ice caps as far as the eye could see. And we would disembark the boat and stand on a piece of three foot deep ice over hundreds of meters of cold, dark water. And we would shoot until the sun started to set and we would chase the light and shoot until it was pretty dark and uh and then we were fucked by the end of every day we're so tired the body had been fighting to maintain core temperature for 12 hours and we would have our dinner and the lads would usually drink and i'd listen to them upstairs you know sober jocks in his cabin <laughs> downstairs and and prepare them keep it down up there and, yeah yeah and then i was right beneath the i was right beneath the, the bar which <laughs> the cruel irony to that but um, it goes to the christmas yeah, past haunting yeah, you yeah very, I've seen to be pared down to its most essential. Yeah. You know, it really was. It was work, sleep, eat. It was work, sleep, eat for five weeks. And I loved it. I don't want to say it was monastic, but there was a kind of a simplicity that was just divine to just inhabit. You know, and there no, was none no, of no cell phone service. I mean, you're necessarily no cut cell, off. No literally. cell phone service, no cell phone service, no emails, none of the usual obfuscations that we live with daily. It was just all of us were given absolute permission to just really inhabit this world and to be together. And to just really be together and create this kind of communal experience that, as I said, I'll, I'll carry with me for all my days. It was very profound. 
work, sleep, uh, uh, work, sleep, work, eat, polar bear plunge too. You, you fit that in polar there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you had to, didn't you? You had to. I don't know you if I would have had part. to, but you did it. How did it go? How did, did it? it? Everyone, I think everyone kind of did, man. It was amazing. It was, it was, it was brutal. It was really, really shocking. I mean, I thought because I was, I was a bit large and I put on, <laughs> I would, I had put on the weight very fast. So my concern being somewhat of a hypochondriac at times was, was I going to have a heart attack? So uh, <laughs> I would think the belt, I would think the added girth would help a little bit. It maybe. helped with, I, I was well insulated as far as the cold welt, I was well insulated, but the shock that me poor old ticker experienced as soon as I hit that water, man, it was brutal. I'll never forget it. And yet I almost blacked out. I almost went into some kind of survival mode where I can't fully grasp the memory of it at the same time. Yeah. If you look at the video, you're not reveling in the moment. You're not like, let me no, just hang here. You're like, this I is it. Get out of there. See how fast I try and get out. And somebody was, if you look at the video, you see this errant finger come into the shot. And I think somebody was pointing outward and saying, swim out more. And there was no fucking way I was doing that. I bolted. <laughs> I think I might've said mama, mommy, when I, when I surfaced, it was, yeah, it was terrifying actually. And that was good. Um, this is your first uh, dip back into the television world, I believe, since True Detective. True Detective, yeah. But there's and no difference. Nah, there's no difference at all. No? I mean, if, if you want to talk about uh, the first job that I did, my first professional job as an actor was um, was a, a TV show called Ballycus Angel in Ireland. And that was that was one camera on sticks and you'd lift the camera up yourself as the actor and walk to the next field. You know what I mean? It was all shot in rural Ireland, just outside of Dublin and um, the Wicklow mountains there. And that was very, what one would think of 10 years ago or five years ago. And one thinks of television, it was a very fast turnover. As I say, one camera on sticks. Now the production values are, are equitable. You know, they really, I mean, the, the scope of what we did on the North water was, uh, you know, mostly unparalleled in regard to anything I've done in film and certainly and all people, one writer and director it's not like you're rotating through directors. yeah it's no, all Andrew it was Andrew yeah it was all coming from Andrew but and likewise on True Detective that all was born of the brilliant minds of Nick Pizzolatto so you know and, and while there was other directors part of me wished at times that Nick would have directed all eight episodes he was so brilliant and had such a kind of an understanding of the core of what he was trying to reach but um that also True Detective had huge production values and, and it just, there's no difference now. And at the end of the day, as an actor, honest to God, man, you're telling a story yeah. and you're just trying to inhabit it and serve the narrative, not even your own character, but understand that your character is a spoke of a bigger wheel. You're trying to just serve the story. And so it's all the same. Have you watched much lately? Are you in that zone? No, I started really? watching Mayor of Easttown, which is really good. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there's so much stuff on, man. I mean, it's you're so spoiled. I find myself starting things and then, you, the patience one has decreases because if you're not gripped instantly, you know, it's terrible. There's just so much stuff. Um, I love documentaries. No, I go down YouTube holes as well. Do you know what I mean? I, <laughs> what's I the, what, what's a YouTube hole you fall, fall I into? Up, I was up till five o'clock this morning watching this dude. Uh, what was his name? Wes Kane, was it? This dude doing this 250 mile fucking ultra marathon through through Sedona and the old mining town of Jerome and it ended through Prescott and it ended in Flagstaff over five days and God bless him he bothered his arse to take a GoPro the whole way and it's on YouTube and it's actually an extraordinary extraordinarily hypnotic 57 minutes um but yeah I, I get on YouTube holes man did you just finish your first marathon by the way 
I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was congratulations. Awesome. How was that? Thanks. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. It was brutal. Um, it was brutal, and I was I was ill prepared to a certain <laughs> certain degree, and then I was as prepared as best I could in another way. But it was uh, it was it was suitably painful. How was the chafing? Chafing wasn't bad. Um, okay. Because I had very a nice pair of well-fitting loose shorts on. Under I had a shirt like this, and I had a cut under my armpit. But no, it was just the. It was just, you know they talk about when you hit the wall, when you hit your lactic threshold, and your muscles yeah. are poisoned by lactic acid. And it, I hit the wall at like badly face plant at mile twenty-three. I struggled from eighteen, but then mile twenty-three on was was very 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 painful i have to say, <laughs> have to say. you don't uh, have to sell me on it i believe you. the singularity of just preparing for it and the yeah, yeah it was the, i mean we're all looking for what are we looking for in life i don't know about you man but i assume all of us are are we're either looking for meaning and purpose or we're struggling even if unconsciously under the under the lack of meaning and purpose and so what a marathon does is even if it's just for the three months leading up or the or the four or five or six hours it might take or two or three, it just gives you this incredible sense of meaning and yeah. purpose. Yeah. Really beautiful. It was I loved it and I'm kind of fascinated by it now. So I'd love to do I'd love to do more. Uh, I, I promise not to get you into trouble, but and I'm sure we'll talk about it down the line. Uh, you've shot the Batman with um, an amazing cast. Uh, yeah. But yeah. as much as the cast impresses me, I, I have long been a devoted fan of Mr. Matt Reeves. Um, yeah, he's films. Brilliant. Let me in, which I know it's impossible to remake that film, but he did an amazing How job. How could with that. you the boldness to remake this? Yeah, the, the set of cojones that Matt has on him to even because that was such a perfect, perfect film and a perfect parable and a perfect love story between two children. I mean, it was such a profound experience totally. at the right way. So, yeah, he's obviously very bold. He obviously um, has an unimaginably keen technical proficiency when it comes to the advent of technology and the art of making film, not just as commercial endeavor, but as real expression and, and using film as a canvas and creating worlds like he did with the Apes films, which were extraordinary. And yet, of course, as we know, it's such a jaded thing to say, but it's true, unless there's some kind of emotional heft at the core of these things, it doesn't matter how detailed the world that's created. And it doesn't matter how extraordinary the visual accoutrement may be. Um, and he has it all. He has it all, Matt. He's brilliant and he's driven. Fuck, he is so driven. And I think what I think he I get the sense that he, of course, he understands, but really steps into and inhabits the responsibility that he has with uh, a mythology that is as loved and is as important to as many people as the world of Batman is, you know, and he, he stepped into that and he inhabited it fully and just an insane engine as well. An insane engine. I mean, what the, the hours the man worked and obviously COVID began to grip the world yeah. while we were shooting. And I left London in March and we were stood down for four or five months and then we went back. And then obviously Robert got sick and, and that was like, fucking Batman has COVID. <laughs> exactly. Batman has COVID. You no, know, it's just like, fuck it. And so, but we finished it after, I think they were probably from first turnover to last cut was probably 12 or 14 months the shoot wow. and he's cutting it together now i haven't heard sight or sound of him i don't know what he's up to but i know he's deep into it and i'm only in it for five or six scenes so i can't wait to see the film because it won't yeah. be 
won't be ruined by my presence. You know, <laughs> I guarantee like things are, Yeah, totally. Like, really, it's a freebie for me. I'll get a little bit uncomfortable for the fucking nine minutes I have. And then the rest of it, I cannot wait to see how he brought this world to life. Because the sets were extraordinary. The production yeah. design extraordinary. And then um, his use of music and sound will be extraordinary. And as you said, the cast from, you know, all of them, Robert and Zoe to, you know, yeah, extraordinary cast. My, my one other question on it, I'm just curious, because like that when that trailer hit, like, it took all of us like five times to watch it to even know well, that was like six weeks of shooting man i know i know it was way early but like we couldn't even like see that it, that was you in it so like can you just talk to I'm me like buried. I'm is buried. that all prosthetics is it just like yeah man yeah man um it's remarkable mike, uh, uh fucking hell why am i blanking on, on mike's name it's not mike marino yeah mike marino who's a genius who's an absolute veritable genius and that word is thrown around a lot but he is a, a drawing, sculpting, shaping genius. And he created this visage for the penguin. And me and Matt had talked about and talked about physically what the character's stature would be. And I had been quite big for the North Water and I didn't want to naturally go big again because I had a few little health things as a result of the North Water. And I was just like, fuck this acting thing ain't <laughs> this important. You know, I leave it to other actors to go that much up and down and God bless them. And I wish them good health. But for me, I was just like the Northwater. I think that's the last time I'll, I'll go up that much. Right. So, so we decided on, you know, fat suit, the uh, 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 girth suit. Um, and Mike Marino created this. Look, I only had, as I said, five or six scenes or seven scenes. And, and I wasn't quite, I was at the early stages of looking at what I felt I could do or bring to it. And I was at a bit of a loss. I, I, and then when I saw what Mike did, I, I, the whole character made sense to me. I, I swear to God, I saw what he did and I just went, okay, okay. And I got really excited about it. All that to say that most of, if anyone ever thinks what I do in Batman is a decent performance, I'll, I'll gladly take 49% of the credit. I honestly, <laughs> God, I'm not, I'm not joking you. Cause there's, you know, mask work. And like yeah. Jung used mask work and certain Eastern philosophies have used mask work. It's a very powerful way to allow the shadow to have permission, the shadow that exists in all of us to have permission because you, you're aware that you're not going to be judged or you feel protected from, you know, the, the, the awful rule of judgment that man inflicts upon each other. Well, that's gone. And so the, the sense of, I, I, you know, conventional logic would say maybe with a full face covering you that it would be limiting that it would you would feel constricted it was 100 percent the opposite it was so damn liberating um amen it was so liberating and i felt so free and i felt like and i may be proven wrong i felt like it was impossible to be too big cut to farrell's too big <laughs> but but like i had such might get such permission to just explore you yeah. know behaviors by by the brilliance of the work that he did mike marino Amazing. and i mean if there's a better makeup that year i don't be thinking about oscars truly but he should just they should just give him the you know he, yeah. if there's a better makeup it's extraordinary what he did extraordinary well i can't wait to dig into it even more next year but before i let you go sir i did ask yep. you as i've been asking everybody this past year oh yeah when, We've, we've needed comfort. I don't know about you. And I've been asking folks, it's, it's very telling. And I love geeking out about filmmaking, yeah. as you can tell. Um, yeah. yeah, tell me, you, what, how did I you arrive at this? I was saying, you know, the way actors are super, the, the, the publicists prepare them and stuff. So I got, I was given an email and it was the list of, just so you know, you know, this yeah. is, and so there was so many of the films, like Jurassic Park would be on my list. And 
Back to the Future would be on my list and sure. any of the Indiana Jones. And when I think of comfort films, to me, there is a, 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 a nostalgic element. It, the comfort films, like I saw other brilliant films like Casino and Long Day's Journey Into Night. And I go, they are not comfort. I mean, Casino a little because it's so colorful and, there's, and Joe Pesci brings such a mad humor to it as well. But for me, comfort films are always about nostalgia. Yeah. They're usually films that I fell in love with when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and with that in mind, Tootsie is one that I fell in love with as a kid. Uh, and it's one that has stood the test of time and it survives just new. It's just so, it, well, it's just so hilarious. And it's, it's also incredibly moving. And it has a great dig at the actor's mentality and psychology as well. Dustin Hoffman's extraordinary. Sidney Pollock, the scenes between Dustin Hoffman oh, and Sidney Pollock. I was going to say, that's Sidney where we Pollock's get. Yes. I, they, those scenes, I, I would just watch over and over and over again. Sidney, Sidney Pollock, Pollock I, I've mentioned Sidney Pollock genius. on this podcast. It's one of the it, great performances. I think generally speaking, Sidney Pollock is like most, one of the most underrated actors. Like not a false Joe, move. Extraordinary director that people don't give him the credit as an actor that he absolutely deserves. Yeah. But yes, sure. there are a handful of scenes in this film that I'm sure get richer for you as you progress in your acting totally. career. Totally. <laughs> Terry Gar, Terry Gar, who was always just a joy, you know, whether it's this or young Frank Star. Charles Durning is so moving as the father, you know, and even up to the very end when he comes into the bar and he sits beside with the bar and he, he goes to give him the ring, give it to me outside, give it to me outside. <laughs> you know, it's and, and yet they they make it's just such a, it's a perfect Tootsie to me is a perfect film. And if I've been asked through the years to to um, to share a role that I would have loved to have played, that's been my stock answer. That's a good one. Has, has any yeah. agent ever told you in a meeting, no one will hire you? <laughs> a lot. Sidney Pollack no, I, or uh, Michael Dorsey. No, I think I no, I think they have. um they haven't given that to me in a second person, but I think I have been referenced in the third person, probably behind closed doors. No one will hire him. <laughs> and I think that was, I was very close to that, if not fully there around 2005 or so. That's the God's honest truth, but, but not in a while. Infamously, the behind the scenes of that movie is fascinating because I don't know if you know this. I mean, like Sidney Pollack and Dustin Hoffman apparently like really did not get along at all. I mean, Dustin has a reputation. I mean, he's an amazing actor, but you know, he's an intense actor who sometimes yeah. rubs directors the wrong way. Sure. Do you, you know, we, we talked about this on the last podcast, but I'm curious just your general philosophy. Like I'm sure you've had friction with different filmmakers. Is your uh, belief now that that can elicit a great, no, a greater yeah, end or no? Either. I think anytime, I think anyone that says that there's a, look, one of the beautiful things for me about what I do for a living is that it defies any kind of, quantifiable way of recognizing how it should be done yeah as an actor or director each director has their own different style their own different aesthetic their own different means by which they go about capturing their story on film whether it's mark mcdonough or yorgos lanthimos or ron howard who are just worked with or terry malik they're they're all so extraordinarily different um the only thing they share kind of is is a goal um, and how they go about that is different. And uh, as an actor, me, I never come in and, and say, I like to work this way or I like to work that way. I don't want to do that. I don't want to fall into a habit, to be honest with you. I mean, look, inevitably you fall into mannerisms and habits anyway, but as much as I can stave them off the past, the better. Right. And one of the organic ways for me to do that, this isn't the reason I'm sharing what I like to do. It's just an organic kind of byproduct and a, and a helpful byproduct, but just organically, I just love going to work and, and doing 
it the way the director wants to do it. I really do. I like, so, you know, I think Woody Allen, when I worked with him, he said, good morning, Ewan, on day three to me. Right. <laughs> I should, I fucking, I'm not even joking. Morning, Ewan. And, and so, you know, I, we didn't rehearse a second. He didn't even know who I was. And then, you know, Mark, I'm going to go to work with Martin now and Martin and me and Brendan and Kerry and Barry will do two or three weeks of rehearsal like theatre. We'll get into a, a blank room with a table and a kettle that we can make cups of tea and we'll talk about the script. And then there's every permutation in between. Some directors that like to do games, some yep. that like to do rehearsal. I just I just love to to go off the director and see how how that experience plays out. Well, the breadth of the filmmakers you've worked with, again, we alluded to this last time and you just mentioned, you just worked with Ron Howard. I believe you're now attached to a Todd Solon's film, which sounds, yeah, I mean, yeah. he doesn't work that often. So that's thrilling. I'd love uh, to work with Todd. Have you ever interviewed him? He's beautiful, yeah. man. Todd, no, never. Yeah, he's lovely. Doesn't just work like, enough. Like, so I'm thrilled he's getting back on the horse. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'd and, be great to work with Rachel and, again. And by the way, uh, you know, good word out of can from your film After Yang. So that, that's yeah, another one to look out for. He's, he's, oh my God, fucking cats. <laughs> the cats are taking over the barrel. How many uh, cats are there? Uh, two, and okay. that'll be it. Yeah, two. <laughs> brother and sister, Mia and Murphy. No, but yeah, Koganat is a very, did you see Columbus? I did, with John Cho, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, Koganat is very special, and I, I loved working with him. Loved working with him. I mean, he... He runs about as gentle and quiet and soft a set as I've ever experienced, you know. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, a, yeah. a lot, a lot to talk about in the in the coming years, yeah, months. Yeah, brother, I'll be around. We'll have a chat. Thank you, buddy, and thank you for geeking out on um on all things the North Water, which sounds like, you know, it's all on the screen, but it sounds like there are just as many adventures off screen. So people should definitely check it out. It's a six part limited series on AMC. Uh, I look forward to our future chat, sir. And if you guys have not ever seen Tootsie, what are you doing with yourselves? Oh, man. Classic. Cinematic brilliance. I showed it to, I showed it to uh, my sons as well. They dug it big time. I love it. I love it. Um, thanks, buddy, well, as yeah. always. Really appreciate thanks. it. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. Ha, ha, ha.